Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Diane Blankenberg. Diane is the CEO and Principal Consultant for Humane Network, a national consulting organization dedicated to helping humane organizations and animal services agencies across the U.S. increase animal life-saving in responsible and sustainable ways. She was formerly the Community Programs and Development Director for the Nevada Humane Society, helping the organization reach and maintain a community-wide live release rate of over 92%. Diane also co-developed and co-facilitates the online life-saving-centered animal shelter management certificate program at the University of the Pacific. She has more than 13 years of experience in animal welfare and sheltering and 25 years of experience in business consulting, facilitation, training, and coaching. She has a master's degree in business administration from the University of San Diego. Diane, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You've got incredible background and bio, but going back, how did you get started in animal welfare and um, an interest in community cats? Well, it, it's probably a typical response that a lot of people have in that they just love animals, and I, I always have. But as far as actually getting uh, into the field as a career was one of those by-chance situations that maybe wasn't so much by chance. But I was on a family reunion in southern Utah and discovered Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, um, visited in the middle of a snowstorm, went home and decided... I wanted to work for them, <laughs> and I I started looking for positions and wanted to use my, my business background in order to help a cause that I truly believed in, and, and it was only a few months later that I'd actually packed up and moved there, and, and that started my new career in animal welfare. Then I got very uh, involved after that with Katrina Rescue down in New Orleans, uh, Alley Cat Allies, and that's where I really got even more exposed to the, the cat side of our field, especially community cats. And I ended up running a, a cat rescue camp for them and then staying on for another year to help with local NR efforts in the community as they, they recovered from that disaster. Did you explain a little bit more about what one of those camps looked like? And I also understand that you had been down to Louisiana a few weeks ago, and I'm just wondering, are there comparisons, or is it by far a totally different scenario in the two situations? Yeah, it's a a great question, and I, I have to say last week it certainly brought back memories, but they were quite different. When I was working at the rescue camp, but it was the only one for cats, uh, that Alley Cat Allies was sponsoring about an hour north, actually, of New Orleans. We set up a, a camp on the property of a supporter of Alley Cat Allies, and she allowed us to erect large tents that we used as a cat shelters. And we had a small building on the site that we kind of used as our office, but the people basically camped out on the property, and we were responding to people who were in need of help in trying to get back into their uh, neighborhoods and their homes where they had left animals, especially we were obviously responding to cat calls. 
so the authorities weren't letting them back and we would go in and actually had permission to go into their homes and attempt to find the cats. We also had other cats brought to us by other people, especially other organizations that were doing rescue work. So we cared for them and worked the best we could at finding the homes and the owners to go to be able to have the cats reunited with them, which was obviously one of the the coolest things about the whole experience. Those that we couldn't reunite, we we found homes placements for and, and still continue to try to reunite as long as we could. So we ended up, I think, with handling about 360-some cats there. The difference between that and the situation I saw last week uh, after the, the floods in Louisiana areas that people were able to get back into their homes much quicker. The flooding was specifically from uh, the rivers themselves and not the um, levee breaches that we had in New Orleans and the flooding that stayed at a certain level for a substantial period of time. It was horrible what happened uh, two weeks ago in Louisiana, but the waters did recede pretty quickly uh, which allowed people to get back into their homes. So we were already seeing people renovating their homes and, and trying to uh, recover what was left. And we even visited some shelters that had already started to rebuild. So uh, there's certainly still a lot to do, but it wasn't the same kind of sustained problem, both for the people or the cats, that uh, the Katrina situation was. So were the folks allowed to bring their cats with them or were there cat people letting cats out of their houses? Were there rescue efforts? We saw all these pictures of dogs being rescued and obviously farm animals and stuff, but you know what you thought the situation on the ground level was for the right. cats in general, as well as our community cats too. Well, exactly. And that that's certainly the, the, the community cat side of it is even more challenging than the pet cats. But we, we did visit some of the temporary shelters both for people and animals, and they did the the organizations that were in charge did allow uh, both cats and dogs to go with the people, and they actually were housing them in the same facility, not necessarily side by side with them. They call it co-located, <laughs> but they did have people that were running like a mini temporary shelter for the people that they took in that also had pets. And then, of course, other shelters were set up to where people were bringing in strays, both cats and dogs, that they found after the floods, and in some cases some animals, you know, were washed down. We did visit a particular shelter that was actually right on a riverbank called Denham Springs in a parish just outside of Baton Rouge. And they had, I met with the executive director there, and she had relayed to me that she was there when the flooding happened, and they basically opened up the kennels of the doors and and of the cats, they just grabbed whatever carrier box they could put them in as fast as they could. And then the water rose to a foot of the top of the shelter. They were literally just pulling animals up onto the roof. They had some 60 dogs up on the roof at one time that were being then rescued into the boats. And out of the 100 cats that they had there, she said they only lost maybe six um, it all happened so fast that the people were literally swimming in to help them. They also had a feral cat colony on their property that they obviously didn't know what had happened until afterward, and uh, a large uh, percentage of those cats made it through also. So, oh, that's interesting. That the, So the feral cats found some place to hunker down until the waters receded? Yes, and, and that's what we found with other people that had, when they have told the stories of rescuing cats, they were basically in trees, I saw this one kitten that said it, it was days later that had been 
apparently in this tree for days and certainly through the flooding, but had managed to, to survive. So, And we worked with some groups that do are in the area, and they were basically going around to uh, various locations that they were already very familiar with and trying to assess the situation and make sure as best they could that the animals were okay, but also that the people that were caring for them had food and whatever else they might need to continue that care. So basically, after the water receded and people are starting to move back into the community, the important part is to reestablish a feeding routine and, and some sort of sheltering to basically lure the cats back out to get them sort of back into that normal normal cycle and system so that then you can see how the cats are doing and how many made it through it okay. Right. And, and we did visit a few sites and, and actually with some caregivers, talked with some caregivers that just to to see what the situation was. And, of course, we were looking mostly uh, in our trip there to how else allies could help, you know, what can they do to help make a difference and and support the the recovery process. Uh, We met with one caregiver that was in a trailer park, and he basically was the caregiver for the entire park. And he was quite certain he'd lost the, the cats normally hang out under the trailers. He was certain he'd lost a few but there still were quite a few there. So, yes, it was trying to obviously assess the situation when they're not, um, you know, they're still kind of, like you said, recovering from the whole event, and it's, you know, a scary process for them. And I know that when I was working um, down after Katrina, there were some cats, a lot of cats, that people thought were totally feral that turned out not to be, actually turned out to be pet cats, but after they'd gone through the ordeal, it certainly traumatized them quite a bit, and they were not acting in a in a very friendly way at the time, which was totally understandable. I thank you so much for taking the trip down to Louisiana and assessing the events there. And it seems like we're sort of at a loss in terms of uh, helping community cats at such a time because we're so dependent on them being independent and figuring out really the best solution. So I I figure they're probably smarter than we are in handling these scenarios. Well, they are pretty amazing in their their survival instincts. And one of the things that we're continuing to work with with allies on is what what can be different in the future to be able to help them, the community cats, that is, quicker and better uh, because they're often ones that are not part of the plans many times mm-hmm. and, and we're we're looking to what what can we do with the groups down there and the the existing coalitions to create some kind of process that would help us or whoever is involved to assess the situation with them faster and get help for them as needed um, after something like this happens. So. Yeah, so you know, I distribution tree for emergency response, like right immediately after so the caretakers get access to the rebuilding supplies and food within hours or whatever, you know. Exactly. Or even where are the locations? I mean it's not something you normally have a database on all the locations for a variety of reasons, but but if there was some central trusted place you could go to that uh, where people could post what was needed because there were a lot of people that you know wanted to help and you don't have necessarily the knowledge to know where to help as far as the community cats it's 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 challenging with the the pet animals but it adds obviously a layer of difficulty with the community cats yeah. but they're equally and important to us so <laughs> totally i'm going to turn the tables a little bit and if you can uh, tell me some background on the program that you have at the University of the Pacific. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
We now just just started our, our fourth round of the shelter management program uh, through online through the University of the Pacific. It's uh, certainly for people who want to or are managing or want to support shelters in the future, and it also is really focused on the life-saving aspects of sheltering. So what are the, the programs and the operations that be in place in order to maximize life-saving? Uh, Bonnie Brown and I, my business partner, started this program, um, as I say, about uh, three years ago, and we put together the curriculum and actually were teaching um, and facilitating all the courses. And we did it because we saw a need in our field for more leadership, more people to come into it that wanted to obviously lead shelters, but also wanted to focus on life-saving programs. And it just seemed like every time there was an opening, you're either taking somebody from from an existing shelter or or a bringing somebody in that you know really didn't have any knowledge in the field. So we we're trying to give people an opportunity to learn more and also to be able to give them some way to show their expertise when being considered for positions. So we it's been um, super successful. It's been full every year, and like I say, just started the the fourth round. Which, and when I say round, there are five courses, five six-week courses. Uh, the first one is leadership. The second one is shelter operations. The third is community program development. Fourth is animal health and clinic operations. And the fifth is marketing and development. Students do not have to take it in a particular order. They don't even have to take all of the courses uh, only if they want the certificate. So some people come in just for a particular subject area. Um, and even though the round has started, um, the second will be starting up on October 10th, which would be shelter operations. We will start around immediately after this one ends. So even if you start in the second course, you can take the first course uh, right after you finish the last of the original round. So basically what we've done with these courses is to bring in uh, experts and best practices and industry standards from you know organizations all over the country and be able to put it into to one package so that people can have access to what is currently working and to the people who are currently making it happen. Um, so we try to share you know the various issues and hopefully both sides of both sides of issues and again what what are the kind of industry best standards. Uh, so. We've gotten a lot of uh, great feedback on it. We update it regularly and try to keep it as new and fresh and real as possible. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants, When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. Have you followed up with any of your uh, graduates to see where they have gone to work? Yes. I can't say the names of the places off the top of my head, but we certainly have. We stay in touch with a lot of our students. 
uh, through a variety of ways. And we do have a distribution list. So when we see job openings, we send it out to them. And we are, I just got a note the other day from a woman that said she got a job in the field. So And she totally credited her experience with this program that allowed her to get that position and get into this field. And she was extremely happy. So Yes, we definitely do, and it, it's it's very rewarding to hear hear that they have been successful in finding jobs. And sometimes it's more some people are already in the field of just moving up into more leadership role. So, and we try to help them with knowing what's out there and and making some of those matches. So, yeah, I mean, I think oftentimes organizations may try to promote internally when they're looking for a new executive director or new leadership position. So sometimes the director of operations may move from operations into executive director position, but there's so much more that goes into being an executive director from operations, but yet there really isn't much of a training process. And it sounds like this program might be ideal for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And even somebody who wants to be an operations director, because it doesn't have to just be people that want to be in the the totally lead position, but you're right, there's a there's a lot of different aspects of running a shelter and being able to be exposed to all those. And sometimes, you know, someone's in a executive director position, but they may not be as strong in some of the other areas, which gives them a more um, well-rounded feel for the field and, and for the various aspects of, of running a shelter, especially depending on the size of it. With the University of Pacific, how many graduates have you had approximately? Oh, gosh, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. I think we've got about 35 that signed up for this round. We don't all take, you know, all five courses and therefore get a certificate. But we've had at least, I'd say, between 20 and 25 each year. And so the fourth year, so that would be, I would say, around maybe 75 so far. So if you keep track, you'll get close to that 100 and you can have a celebration at that point in time. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. Absolutely. 100 new leaders in animal welfare. Uh, I I think leadership development, um, I think education as an ongoing practice for everyone is really important. You know, always trying to learn new things and, and reach out. And as you said, you know, you don't have to commit to the whole process. You could just try it out and see how it works. It's, I mean, online, you don't have to drive anywhere, so you can't do that. And um, yeah, I love online learning. So, Yeah, absolutely. And we've had students from all over the country, and we've also had international students, which has been fun to, to compare some of the, the practices and standards in, in other countries, too. So it, it is easy. We do accommodate, even, even when we're providing some of our uh, expert uh, sessions, we do WebEx sessions, but even if there are times that people can't participate easily, we record everything so that um, anybody can access it at any time that's in the program. If people are interested in finding out more um, about the courses or reaching out to you at Humane Network to find out more about your experiences in Louisiana, find out more about Humane Network, or um, just ask you, you know, any questions, how could they find you? Well, humanenetwork.org is our website, and you can certainly find out more about our services on there. And there's also information about the uh, shelter program, and there's a link into the University of the Pacific that can even give you more details regarding costs and uh, dates, etc. Also, info at humanenetwork.org comes directly to me, and I'm certainly happy to answer any questions specifically that anyone might have. We are constantly uh, working with new shelters all over the country, and, and not just shelters, but any kind of animal welfare organization that just might need any kind of help in 
increasing their life savings. And sometimes it's directly and sometimes it's indirectly. So we might help with implementing specific programs or it could be just helping with uh, strategic planning or uh, improving cost efficiencies so that ultimately it can work towards a greater life saving. Excellent. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just that we are we're in this because we we really obviously our hope it's obvious that we love the cause and we want to not only help the animals but we want to help the people that help the animals. So um, I didn't mention this earlier, but that was one of my pre-animal background was organizational behavior. So to me, it was ultimate of being able to bring these uh, two fields together. So how do we as people become more efficient and more effective and, and, and work to be- together better in order to be able to be of better service to the animals? So happy to talk to anybody anytime just about what their needs are and how we might be able to assist them and hopefully people will reach out and, and hopefully we can point them in the right direction even if we don't have what they need. Diane, thank you so much for being a guest on my show and I look forward to having you on in the future. Well, thank you so much. It was certainly my pleasure and I appreciate all that you do for the Community Cats of our country. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more Community Cats. 